Season 4, Episode 3 of the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes, as well as the Birdlasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The inspiration for this week's episode came from an unusual place. I happened to stumble across an article in a surfing magazine called Stab Magazine. The article was called Surfing's Dark Secret, Birding. And well, it was a birding article in a surfing magazine. So I got hold of the writer of the article and he agreed to come on the show. So today I will be chatting to surf writer and broadcaster Paul Evans all the way from southwest France. While he really goes out and sits in a high to write down the bird species he observes, he describes himself when he leaves the house as never not birding. On the 22nd and the 23rd of July, BirdLife South Africa's annual African Bird Fair will be taking place. I'm joined by Andy Wasang, BirdLife South Africa's communications manager, who will be telling us all about this year's event. Straight after that, we'll hear from Paul Evans, who will tell us a little about his journey as a birder, as well as why he thinks birding is the perfect side hobby for surfers. Don't forget, all relevant links are in the notes to the show. So, let's dig into today's episode. So Andy, it's good to have a chat to you. First time you've been on the Birding Life podcast, I just want to welcome you, welcome you to the show. Thanks so much, Adam. Yeah, great to be a part of it after listening to several episodes. So it's nice to finally be on microphone with you. So just as a start, you know, you've started at BirdLife South Africa quite recently. Can you just share a little bit about yourself so the listeners can get to know you? Yeah, happy to do so. Thank you. Um, so yeah, you're right. Joined in January this year um, after about 10 years of working in, in marketing and communications across different sectors, different fields and in, in a marketing agency as well. And yeah, I was just looking to align my work and my career more with my, my passions, um, one of which is is obviously birding and wildlife. So very glad to have joined an organization that I have a, you know, um, a mutual passion with as well. So we're going to be chatting all about the BirdLife South Africa African Bird Fair today. I'm really excited. It's one of my favorite events on the calendar. So just to start with, can you tell us a little bit about the Bird Fair? Sure thing. Yeah, it's, uh, we're very much looking forward to it. Also one of our favorite events of the year. Um, it's an annual event, the African Bird Fair. It's been going on for about 15 years, um, every every year since inception. Uh, so we're very, very proud of that. And we, we really look forward to bringing together the birding community from, you know, serious and professional ornithologists out in the field looking to share some of their work, right down to people who are just getting involved in birding for the first time and perhaps just starting to identify the birds in their in their gardens. So it's a really nice mix. It's happening on the 22nd and 23rd of July, 2022. So just a couple of months away, really. So I remember I'm a KZN person, and we used to do this road trip up and come to the Walter Sisulu Gardens and go to the bird fair. It was really exciting. I uh, got some, got a few laughers when I went up there as a as a KZN person. So it was nice to get some laughers. But like I said, originally it was an in person event, and then with COVID, like everything else was affected, it went online. But I see this year's event is a hybrid event. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, many people have been asking, uh, you know, can they attend? And we'll still be having an in-person physical event at our headquarters, which is Isdal House in Dunkold, West Johannesburg. So that'll be on Saturday, the 23rd of July. 
Um, and that will feature some of our exhibitors and sponsors. We've got uh, tons of interesting exhibitors from artists through to accommodation providers and sponsors. For example, we've got Swarovski and Zeiss. Uh, we've got Canon of the Ford Wildlife Foundation, Ital Tal, Hans Hoheisen uh, Charitable Trust, and the Everard Reed Gallery. And, and that's just to name, name a few. There'll also be talks and, and networking and obviously uh, drinks and snacks and things like that and just a nice opportunity to connect with with authors and artists and some of the bird life uh, team but then what we found is after going virtual two years ago due to COVID, as you mentioned is it really opened up you know the continent and the world uh, for us from this bird fair point of view so people wherever they are can actually attend and benefit and enjoy the talks and the workshops and so we decided to keep that aspect that aspect um, so it'll pre predominantly be a, a virtual event. People can attend the talks and the workshops, most of which will be free. Um, so very easy to attend. And then there will be a few uh, paid for talks and keynotes as per usual as well. So our keynote talks and a couple of the workshops will be will be paid for. And then in terms of those who are looking to attend the in-person, looking to go and you know visit the stalls and that, what's the parking situation like at the venue? So we've got a bit of parking at, at Isdal House, but um, we are expecting quite a number of people and we've, we've sent out some comms to ask people to ideally use, um, use transport such as Uber uh, down the street, um, as well as using some venues uh, nearby. So in the past, we have touched base with Dunkeld Shopping Center and the Dunkeld Bowls Club, for example, but and no guarantees as yet. So we, we're definitely going to have to manage that. Yeah, and I think one of the highlights is seeing your guys' headquarters. I've never been there, but I've seen photos. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, thank you so much. It's it's a really nice place to to go to work, I must say. It's a fully indigenous garden, and it really is flourishing. I've got a couple of resident species. And um, yeah, we also encourage people to come and enjoy just walking around the the indigenous garden and enjoy that aspect as well. So one of the highlights every year with the bird fair is the fantastic speakers that you get to line up. So who are some of this year's speakers? So our main two keynote speakers are Jonathan Franzen and Dr. Samuel Deo Osanubi. Um, so just to give you a little bit of information about them, Jonathan Franzen uh, from the US is, is one of the world's best-selling authors at the moment, novelists. He's a very successful novelist, author of six novels. He's won a couple of awards. So uh, in the States, they've got the National Book Award, which he's won for fiction, uh, the Euro Nature Prize. He's won an award for conservation and then as well as the Utah Award for the environmental humanities. So on top of be being one of the, the world's leading novelists at the moment, uh, he's also a conservationist at heart and he's done a, quite, a lot, quite a lot of work to protect birds and um, raise awareness about the threats to birds. A uh, very passionate birder as well. And so he, he gladly accepted the invitation to come on board as one of our keynote speakers um, and then Dr. Samuel uh, Deo Osanubi, he's uh, an avian behavioral ecologist, um, and he's um, done his postdoc at the Fitzpatrick Institute, and he will be uh, talking about intracontinental migrants, so intra-African migrants, especially his work on the woodlands kingfisher, with, which um, so many of us can identify with, and looking very much forward to hearing more about that, as well as some of the other intra-African uh, migrants. We've also got some, some workshops. Uh, as as per usual. So we've got three main workshops. Uh, the first um, by my colleague, uh, Dr. Melissa Whitecross, and that's an ecologist's guide um, to birding South Africa's grasslands. So that should be, be really interesting. Dr. Aldo Baruti, who um, many of your listeners will be familiar with, uh, is going to be talking about garden birds and how they your everyday reward. Um, so, you know, people looking to get into birding for the first time and, and watching birds in their garden, that will be a really nice introduction. 
And then uh, Lance Robinson will be presenting on um, birds of the bushveld or bushveld birding. Um, so, and then on top of that, there's, there's a lot of other talks from some of my colleagues. For example, um, Christina Hagen will be talking about bird of the year, which is the, the Cape Gannet. Uh, she'll be doing a presentation on that. Tanya Anderson will be talking about uh, flamingos. Um, there's a number of other presentations. Dr. Anton Wolfark of the Mastery Marion Project, uh, which you'll remember uh, recently from the Flock to Marion voyage. Uh, so Anton will be speaking a bit about that project and, and what's needed um, to make that a success. And then uh, Daniel Danquitz will be speaking about Kenya's iconic birds and obviously some big game in Kenya as well. We've got uh, Dylan Vesapoli talking about Mozambique. Uh, so getting off the beaten track and birding, birding there. So there's really a lot to look forward to. And that's just to name a few of the talks. And the nice thing, like you said earlier, is we've got listeners from all around the world who listen to this podcast. And the fantastic thing about it being online is that wherever you are in the world, you can tune into these talks and they are absolutely fantastic. I mean, last year, the talks, I remember the talks were really high quality talks and, you know, I encourage the listeners to, you know, tune in because it's really, really cool. But one of my favorite, favorite parts of the bird fair is the bird quiz. Normally, the truth is I do really badly at it, but it's lots of fun. And Andrew DeBlock, I don't know who else will be hosting with him. He's always a fantastic um, host. Will there be the bird quiz this year? That's definitely one of the highlights we hear from attendees year on year. So uh, we've absolutely included the quiz this year. And I think Andrew DeBlock will, will be bringing his best quiz master game as well once again. And yeah, that will, that it won't be limited just to, to birding and bird species. So again, uh, anyone can get involved, get the family around the, around the laptop, around the Zoom recording, um, and, and get involved. Yeah, join us for that quiz. That will be uh, the Saturday, the Saturday evening, the 23rd of July. And obviously, a lot of families tune in. Um, are there going to be activities for kids? Yes. Yeah, so we've organized something for the, for the kids, um, partnering with Fancy Peacock. So we're very appreciative to Fancy for putting up some of his bird books, which uh, he will sign as prizes. And that'll be a coloring in competition. So we've put together some of Fancy's um, artwork, uh, some of the outlines of his artwork. And we're encouraging kids and families to um, do a coloring in competition. So there's two categories. It's kids from uh, 7 till 10 and 11 till 12 or 13, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so two categories, two prize winners. And um, we encourage kids to get involved and, and color in those different bird species. And it's a nice way to learn more about birds and learn some of the, the species that you would see in your, in your backyard and further afield in the, in the bush as well. So the coloring competition, will that be for the in-person event or is there a way they can participate in that online? Yeah, so they'll be able to download. Um, in fact, they are able to download the coloring in PDF and print it out from our website. So on the BirdLife website, which is birdlife.org.za under the events panel, listeners can, can see the African Bird, Bird Fair page. And on that page at the bottom, there's a coloring in competition section where we can download the, the documentation, uh, start drawing and then submit it digitally as well as in person. Yeah, so just hopefully this won't be like parents who do their kids' homework, do all the projects for the kids, and the kids get good marks. So let the kids do the coloring. <laughs> I think we'll be able to tell. When you were, we were chatting about this and you gave me some communication, there's a really interesting way that people can get involved in the lead-up to event. You're looking for stories from around Africa. Tell us about that. It's really exciting. Yeah, we're quite excited about that session. It'll be a, a, Friday, a Friday evening um, session, you know, just to wind down on the Friday after everyone's had a long day of work. And um, we're actually leaning on, on listeners and the birding community to submit 
stories uh, to us. And what we will do is we will compile these stories into a presentation of anecdotes. And uh, really what we're looking for is, is, is humorous and fun anecdotes, stories from South Africa, from your garden, from your latest trip to the Kruger National Park, or from further afield in the continent about birding, you know, things that have happened while out birding. And, and really, we just want to share, you know, have a look at ourselves as birders, as well as the birding community and have a bit of a laugh. Um, you know, for example, the other day I was out by the Val Dam and while identifying an, an osprey, which was obviously quite a good, quite a good uh, species to see over, over a casual Saturday afternoon, um, I asked my wife to, to apply brakes uh, quite quickly. And we ended up going into pretty much um, a manhole. I, would, I wouldn't call it a pothole. And ended up being broken down for a few hours and having to dig ourselves out of the mud. But uh, it was definitely worth the, the osprey sighting. So we're going to be sharing some interesting stories like that from around the continent. And uh, I'll be co-hosting that with uh, Sandiswa Kula, who many of your, your listeners may be familiar with as well. So... People are listening. They're excited about this event. How do they register? And you've already mentioned that most of it is is free. So, you know, for those who want to register for the pay talks, how does that work? So tell us about how do we register and you know, what, what kind of costs are there for the pay talks? Okay. So on our website, um, as I mentioned, there's an African Bird Fair uh, page. So just to give, give the details of that, it's uh, www.birdlife.org.za uh, forward slash uh, African dash bird dash fair dash 2022 or the easiest way is just to navigate to our website and look out for the the banner that links you through to the page or go to the events tab uh, on that page uh, is all the information including the the speakers the programs the workshops obviously our, our generous sponsors as well and the coloring in competition and very shortly there will be a link through to a uh, cricket where um, attendees can register their attendance that'll be whether you attend to attend the um, intend to attend the free events or the paid events, um, as well as the physical event at Isdal House. And that's just so that we can manage numbers on the day uh, as well. Um, so that'll be a quick uh, link. And basically, um, it's 100 Rand for the, the keynotes and for the workshops as well. Um, or if you purchase a package of all five, so both keynotes and all three workshops, there'll, there'll be a discount. And there's also a discount for all three workshops. The rest of the talks will be free to attend, but yeah, we do encourage people to still register via, via Quicket. So that link will be on our website uh, soon, and uh, you can also keep your eye out on our social media pages, and we'll have the registration link there as well. Like always, we'll pop the links into the show notes. So if you're looking for the links, have a look on the show notes. But Andrew, it's been really great to chat to you. Thanks so much for giving up your time, and I'm really looking forward to attending and being part of this year's Bird Fair. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, really looking forward to, to seeing you there or connecting uh, virtually. And um, yeah, just to encourage people from, from wherever they are listening, very easy to tune in. And it's going to be uh, definitely one of the birding highlights of the, of the year, one of the African birding highlights of the year. So thanks so much for helping us get the word out there and looking forward to, to seeing you there. Birdlife Northern Gauteng is delighted to announce that we have acquired the services of Jeff Lockwood to present the birding course to our members as well as members from the public. Jeff is one of the top birders in South Africa with a big following on Facebook where he shares the ups and downs of the owls breeding at Delta Park. Drawing on more than 50 years of birding experience, Jeff is going to entertain us with stories and anecdotes that will help us to enhance our birding skills. On Saturday 11 June, we have a theoretical session with Jeff 
and on Sunday 12 June, Jeff will accompany us on a field outing to Moreleta Kloof in Pretoria. The course will help participants to differentiate between the different groups of birds, also to understand the relevant bird identification characteristics such as size and shape, bowl shape and color patterns. The course will also include tips um, and the importance of knowing bird behavior, bird goals as well as the habitat in which you bird. If you are interested in attending this course, you can contact the BirdLife Northern Gauteng Secretary at the following email. Secretary at blng.co.za So I'm really excited today to have a very special guest and this came about um, when I read an article in a very interesting place. I read an article about birding in a, in a, a surfing magazine and I had to get Paul onto the show. So Paul, I want to welcome you to the show and I'm really excited to have a chat to you today. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So just to start off, there might be some people from Europe and other places that might think that I'm really speaking to the super famous author right now. You're not the author of Field Notes from the Edge. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of Paul Evanses. There's one that um, won the London Marathon when I was a kid and I told everyone at school that was me as well. So um, it's quite a common name, but yeah, I'm um, I'm 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 not the, the the famous writer or the marathon runner, but um, I've had a bit of modest success with with surf magazines as an editor. I was editing a magazine here in Europe for about fifteen years called Surf Europe, and now I still work kind of freelance as a writer, write about surfing, and um, I work on events doing the live broadcast as a commentator. Um, and I also have a have a podcast that all to do with surfing. So this is actually really refreshing to do talk about something else that isn't necessarily just surfing. I must say that article in Stab Magazine is one of the best written articles I've read for a long time. And we're going to talk a lot about stuff that might have been in the article. But if you have not read that article, you need to get hold of that Stab Magazine. The first page when you you wrote, you spoke about fishing and that I'm not going to give too much away. It was one of the funniest lines I've read for a long time. I actually, I showed about 10 people and said, you've got to read this. Yeah, I was like nearly in tears when I read the line about how you describe fishing. So get that article. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's nice of you to say. I had a lot of fun writing that. And um, sometimes you just sort of churn stuff out, you know, when you, you're doing a certain number of articles and then some, I, that, that one, I, I took my time over and I, I really enjoyed it. That was, um, that was a lot of fun and people seemed seem to like it. So. So that was that was pretty cool. So this is a a birding podcast, and the podcast goes all around the all around the world. So I want to start with a question, and this might alienate a few people. People can put their stones down and not try and stone you off this question. But let's ask the question: Are you a surfer who birds, or are you a birder who surfs? And let me let me ref, let me let me ask the question of this: Are you more excited by a good swell or a super rare bird? Uh, I'd probably say I'm a surfer who birds, if I'm completely honest, that would kind of be my main thing. And certainly something that I'd have a, a bit more confidence in kind of speaking about. Uh, yeah, my, my birding knowledge is, is, is pretty patchy in a, in a lot of areas. Having said that, I was a birder before I was a surfer. So I've kind of technically been doing it a bit longer, but I'm, I consider myself like a, a really keen sort of very, very amateur birder and, and a little bit more. I mean, surfing is kind of, I've had a little bit of a career out pretending like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to it. So yeah, more into surfing, but um, but I don't see why it would have to be one or the other anyway. I think the two, as as that article was was kind of about, I think the two go really well together. This episode will be listened 
to by surfers who may know nothing about birding. So I'm going to ask you to start right at the beginning. How would you define the term birder? Yeah, I would just say anyone who who likes likes looking at birds, who, who finds them interesting, um, whether that is get to the point of writing their names down in a little book and kind of counting them and adding them up, or just someone that every now and again has a little gaze skyward and, and takes a little bit of, a bit of interest in in what's flying around. I mean, it could be the the natural world more broadly. It's sort of impossible to be kind of interested in nature and, and not be in some way into birds because some. Um, well, just they're, they're all around us, and they're they're just sort of, sort of fascinating part of um of the natural world. So I guess yeah, a bird or someone that enjoys looking at birds and isn't too embarrassed or ashamed to talk about it in public. <laughs> so you make a really strong statement in the article, and you say this here: the best of all surface sight pursuits is, of course, birding. Unpack that idea a little bit. Yeah, I think the two go really, really well together. I mean. The thing about surfing is you spend a lot of time thinking about it, preparing, sort of anticipating, uh, reading weather patterns and tides, and then you get this unexpected payoff from nature. You spend very little time actually like riding waves itself. I mean, less than 1% of the time. Most of the time, you, even when you're in the water, you're just sort of sitting there. And I think there's there's something quite similar with, with birding and that, you know, you could just go out somewhere with your binoculars and, and see what you find. But I guess the more people get into it, the more they kind of anticipate what they're going to look for and they look for certain habitats and, and things like that. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap there. Um, surfers, surfers get up really early in the morning to go on like dawn patrol. It's often conditions are best in the morning. The winds are really good. So maybe not not so much in sharkier places like where you are, but paddling out in the dark in the morning is is, is a big thing in surfing and if you do do that, particularly in spring and to a lesser extent in autumn, uh, around where I live, you, you'd hear the dawn chorus, which is which is amazing. Um, so there's a lot of overlap there, and then also just the whole thing to do with migration and um, surfers from kind of northern Europe. They might head head south in, in winter, go down to southwest Portugal or to Morocco and live in a van, and they are literally following the exact same sort of flight path as a lot of songbirds and raptors and other. Other, other birds do so there's there's loads and loads of overlap i, I think and i just think they the, the two go really well hand in hand you know we had the opportunity at the beginning of this year we went on a, a cruise called the flock to marion cruise and you know we got to see um wandering albatrosses and you know just so many petrels and yeah i mean amazing birds and you know the one thing about the sea is i love land birds but there's something special about pelagic seabirds and you know it must be really special to get out there and it's almost like when you're surfing you you you're almost not just connecting to the land birds but you're almost connecting to you know the other side that that part of birding that so many birders love seeing pelagic birds i mean seeing albatrosses and seeing gull species and um you know those kinds of things it's you know it's it, it there has to be something that resonates in you with 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 birders even if they might not be a or surface even if they might not be a birder it must be something really exciting having these these majestic seabirds flying around you yeah absolutely i mean you know if you think about kind of wildlife that you that you're spotting when you're surfing people think of dolphins or other sort of cetaceans whales and things like that which, which is this is fantastic but realistically um for a, a lot of parts of the world particularly around in the, the part of the atlantic where i'm in europe that's that's sort of less often than than you're seeing birds all the time coastal birds or, or, or pelagics and 
and even just getting the opportunity to notice the the patterns that they take if there are big storms if, if the wind's been blowing really hard you, you might notice a lot of birds that you would never normally see near the coast would, would you might even see them on the beach where i live there's a little marine lake where a lot of the um true pelagic birds take kind of shelter over winter and yeah seeing things that um you would normally only even see if you went really far out in a boat um really close to the coast and that kind of littoral zone is some um, yeah it's, it's totally cool i mean it's there's so much there when you start looking and the more you notice then the more you kind of start to notice on top of that so yeah that's um that's that's one of the cool things about being and as i mentioned most of the time when you're surfing you're not actually surfing just sort of sitting there so if you can have a little look around and, and check out some birds then well it's win-win but you touched on something interesting there and i've got a lot of friends who are surfers i live in a coastal town and you know surfers they know the wind conditions and they know the weather conditions because it affects the waves and that kind of thing. But we also know that those same things have an effect on, on, on birds. And I love the way you were talking about that. Now you speak about the fact that because you, you become aware of these, the conditions it allows you to see the patterns and see how the, how the birds, those weather conditions affect the birds. And it's quite, it's quite interesting to see, like you were saying, how the two kind of, there's this real connection between the two. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's a lot of overlap to do with that idea of reading nature. And even surfers talk about time slowing down when you when you get into the tube. It's, there was quite a famous surfer in the oh, it's African surfer, Sean Thompson, in the 70s, who talked about time slowing down when you get inside the tube. And people that write about kind of nature and, and particularly like sort of early human, they talk about these mind maps that um that our ancestors would have had when they're kind of out walking somewhere and how they kind of anticipate not only what creatures are going to do, what animals, but even in terms of plants and trees that they notice the habitat changing and create these, these kind of 3D maps, which allows everything to slow down, which is how we kind of survived as a species. If, if you just chance upon an animal, threw your spear at it, missed, it's gone, you starve. You do kind of need to preempt things. I think we're sort of hardwired to do that. And I think that is one of the pleasures to do with birding and also that overlap with surfing is it's actually something that comes quite naturally to us to sort of anticipate these things and then you get that little payoff when when it does happen so let's rewind a bit um how did you as a surfer start birding right so as i mentioned i was a birder first i think when i was about six or seven i i got a pair of binoculars for my birthday or christmas and i joined the the yoc the young ornithologist club which is like the junior branch of the rspb which is which is huge it's a huge um sort of bird conservation charity in Britain. And I remember seeing House Martin. I used to live in Canterbury, which is in Kent, right in the southeast of England, really close to France, really. Um, and I remember seeing House Martins there. Probably That's probably my earliest bird memory. And then, yeah, I got a little bit into it. I used to go birding on weekends and I saw a kingfisher. I remember how excited I was about that. And yeah, I, I was into it as a kid. And then um, I lapsed with my with my birding through my sort of later teens and into 20s and just was more into surfing or, or kind of drinking and doing other stuff, trying to be cool. And uh, surfing, uh, sorry, birding didn't, didn't seem that cool, um, I guess. And then I've got back into it much more recently, maybe about 10 years ago, maybe a little over that. Um, I got much more interested in um, the sort of natural world and I guess what people would sort of loosely term the environment and yeah, I um, I just became, I just sort of fell in love again with with birding and, and just sort of taking a look around the, the sort of the everyday that's all around us. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to live in a place with like really different habitats for, for birds. I, I live in southwest France, just really close to the border of Spain. 
so we've got we've got seabirds and coastal birds there's a it's actually a huge pine forest here it's it's the biggest pine forest in europe goes back you can drive for two hours basically between here and bordeaux and it's it's all pine forest so we've got this woodland habitat we've got the the pyrenees mountains just behind us that's like half an hour away and the whole area behind the beach here is a, is basically a, a swamp um so we've got all these kind of wetland habitats so there's actually tons of like amazing and pretty diverse birding around or at least it seems that way to me because my baseline was kind of britain in the 80s uh which was relatively depleted um well it's actually was was actually compared to now was um sort of enriched with with wildlife and bird life but so it still feels really exotic to me for example to see an osprey um, around here now because when I was a kid seeing an osprey I, I think they think there weren't any breeding pairs at one point in the 70s or 80s in, in Britain maybe, maybe somewhere off on an island off the coast of Scotland but birds that were really rare then are, are fairly commonplace here so it still seems exciting to me because that's my sort of reference point. You've just nailed something which just shows me what I love about birding. So firstly there's no way unless I was a birder and you were a birder that I would be speaking to a surfer who commentates on surfing, who writes for surf magazines. Yeah, I would never have been speaking to someone all the way across the world unless you were a bird. And I love the way birding connects people. But something else interesting, the guest before this, we were just chatting about birds, and the, one of the birds he mentioned in this episode was an osprey. And it's amazing how a guy in South Africa and a guy all the way in France both speak about the same species. And I love how birds have this way of, of actually connecting us all around the world it's it, it, it's 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 amazing yeah absolutely and i mean even just taking our two sort of geographical examples one thing that i find really fascinating is i mean at the moment the sky is literally full here of, of barn swallows and swifts actually they, they arrive a bit later they've arrived more recently but i mean there's a, a reasonable chance that some of these birds would are until about our northern winds would overwinter as far away as cape town so i don't know if you know the writer called tim d he's a british guy that lives in part of the year in Scarborough in, in the Cape. And um, he writes a lot about this and, and particularly that migration. And I, I just find that just that is the part that really keeps me particularly interested in, in birding is, is particularly that seasonality, that migration. I just find it absolutely fascinating that um, a bird can, can travel that distance, knows where to go, how to can go back to the basically the same, almost the same tree. I just find that just kind of mind-blowing and that that is, to me is kind of the the hook. That's the sort of magic of, of birding is is the, the lives that they lead that we're only really just finding more and more out about. It's always amazed me that that a barn swallow that I might have looked at through my binoculars could be the same barn swallow that you and Europe look at, late, at through your binoculars later in the year. And that, that's amazing how amazing birds are. I think... I think that they, you know, back in the days, uh, the scientific community. I'm thinking of the sort of Victorian era, so the 19th century. They didn't know loads about the the Palearctic migration, particularly they just birds just kind of appeared. And I think there was there's a story of a, a crane that was found somewhere in, in in Western England or was spotted and trapped, and it had a spear, a broken off spear, somewhere in its rump. And they, they trapped this bird, got the spear, took it to the Natural History Museum, and it was identified by some sort of expert to come from a tribe in Zambia, I think, if I'm not mangling this. And that was when they kind of, what, the first sort of real hard evidence for working out the patterns of the migration, which is just mad. <laughs> when you think about that, it's fascinating. So do you keep a laugh list? And if, if so, what is your laugh list currently on? Okay, I'm sort of, I think I'm going to be sort of ashamed to say I don't. I'm not like a massive lister 
So I mentioned I had this like reawakening about birding about 10 years ago. And I, I did, I was keeping this journal throughout the year and I would kind of write down nature's great events and when various trees came into leaf or various things like that. And I, I was writing down the names of species, but I started noticing I was getting quite a lot of them wrong. And on hindsight, if I, would, if, I, if I couldn't tell between two species, I would always kind of go for the one that seemed sort of sexier. And so I just thought a lot of what I've done here is, is, isn't very good birding. So I don't actually, I don't keep a live list, but I, I, with my memory, I would kind of know if there's something I haven't seen before, if you see what I mean. But I don't know, is that a big, is that a big crime against the birding community, not having a list? Is that, is that mad? Or do other people do that? Or not do that rather well there's a very well-known ornithologist in south africa and i had the chance to spend a weekend with him and i asked him what's your life list on and this is probably one of south africa's best birders and he said he has no idea what his life list is and i think that's so it's if the best ornith one of the best ornithologists in our country cannot have a life list you don't have to have a life list <laughs> okay I, now i wish I'd, if i started one now i feel like i was cheating myself out of all the things i've already seen as well so it's almost like a little late to get into it but i wish i did i wish i had a number of one of those things but you you should get ebird on your phone and you know start like I, I was thinking about this you know birders love lists and we've i've got a garden list i've got a, a list for the month i've got a list for other things and it's just it's more fun i don't really do it from a, a challenge perspective but you know it'd be quite cool to have a list of birds that you see while surfing It'd be quite interesting to see how many species you get while you're on a board. Yeah, definitely. Do you know the other just weird quirk about that is I've sometimes noticed that I've, you see, I see quite a few songbirds, particularly in the autumn, coming in in the morning if I surf early. I'm presumably being blown out to sea by the east wind, by the offshore wind. So I'll see little finches and things like that that are coming in from a long way out to sea. It seems like I never could really work out why. But um, yeah, that is a good, if I do do a list, it'll be that one. It'll be my list of things I've seen from the lineup. The Zikwe Guest Farm, situated only seven kilometers outside Otsuring, is a beautiful Lucerne farm with a variety of activities for the whole family. They offer a variety of luxurious ensuite rooms and self-catering options and great activities for the whole family. Enjoy hikes, biking, swimming, their exclusive five shy meerkat tours, and of course, fantastic birding. Come and relax in their beautiful surroundings in the garden route, Klein Karoo. Book now and take advantage of their winter special. Stay for three nights and only pay for two. Be sure to check them out on our birding directory and find out just what this venue offers the birder or visit www.dezikwe.co.za. All the links on the notes to the show. So he has a question. What is your best experience or what is your best birding experience with a wetsuit on? Okay, I've got an amazing, um, I've got an amazing one, although the sort of veracity could could be called into question and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold that against anyone. I I think I well I know I saw a Corey's shearwater getting barreled in Madeira which is um, one of the Macronesian islands off, off the coast of Africa. It's a Portuguese island. I was surfing there in, in, in 99, and I was surfing this point break where the swells kind of bend and they sort of refract back in around this point. And uh, all day long, well, all morning long rather, the seabirds fly kind of north to south. This is on the west coast. And they're wingtip to wave face. And obviously they're using the air that the, the wave is pushing and they're just gliding effortlessly. I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen that and, you know, it's a beautiful thing to see. And I saw this shearwater actually get in the tube, the wave barreled 
it was inside the tube, the holy grail of surfing. The reason why I say people might not necessarily believe that, and I sort of didn't believe it myself, it, it happened after a night where I hadn't been to sleep. So I'd been awake for a long time, and I was sort of semi-delirious from lack of sleep and from surfing my brains out and a bit. You know when you sort of get really hungry and dehydrated and sort of hot on a hot day and you feel like you might sort of start crying? I felt a bit like that. But I know what I saw and I'm sticking to my story. So that was pretty cool. That's probably my, my headline one. Uh, people always laugh when I, when I say that as well. Um, but otherwise, I just remember when I was living back in England, um, I used to surf this spot that was quite popular and the waves were pretty crap and just, but it was busy. And to get away from everyone, me and a mate uh, uh, on a low tide, you could, you could kind of paddle across the bay and then shuffle over these rocks. And there's a couple of little coves that you can't get to um, without getting wet, even at, lo even at low tide. And I remember just going there and seeing this amazing um, colony of puffin. This is the most beautiful birds. This was like the middle of winter and quite a grim sort of day and stormy and a little bit of sunlight popped out. And I just remember how just beautiful they looked. And I guess they, they were there all the time and they're really close to quite a popular beach, but you'd never know. And just those little sort of, sort of serendipitous moments. I, 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 yeah, that one always sticks with me. It's not, it's not a rare bird. It's quite a common one to see, but yeah, that, that would be... That would be another one that's, that's probably slightly slightly more believable for the skeptics than my shearwater in the tube story. But isn't that what makes birding amazing? You know, people often wonder why we get up in the morning and we chase after birds. But, you know, it sometimes it's not just the bird you see. It's the experience that happens around it, the people that you're with, uh, conditions, or it could be a whole lot of different things. And I think that's what makes birding amazing. It's not just the birds. It's everything that goes around it. Yeah, and I guess also you tend to think that birds instinctively, particularly if you kind of chance upon them or, or vice versa, they're going to suddenly fly off. And it's kind of when they don't. And it almost feels like they're kind of looking at you, you're looking at them, they know you're there. And you almost feel like you are, I feel like I have this kind of shared experience with them. And that, that was the case with these, with these puffin. Um, I, that too, I find, um, yeah, I find that really, really really cool we we always talk about birding spots on on our episodes and it's always interesting you know birders are always looking for nice spots to go and birding uh to go birding but i want to ask you an interesting question so what are three spots either that you have visited or that you'd want to visit that excite you both as a birder and a surfer yeah sure i know that um, namibia is is a real big kind of birding spot i think it's quite big in bird tourism and it and it it also has one of the best waves anywhere. This this long this long sandbar left, kind of barreling left, which is like my my favorite kind of wave. So I guess yeah, that would be a pretty cool one. I'm not, to be honest, I'm not like massively interested in like what I would call the real exotic. I don't know loads about the birds in Costa Rica or Central America or things like the Amazon places like that. I mean, I'm I know in terms of like the species diversity and, and how you know how many there are within the small area. These are like real hotspots, but I'm sure if I went there, I'd be into it. But it's not it's not a massive, it's not a massive hook for me. I'm I'm quite interested in more of the sort of everyday around here and and particularly the seasonality. But just on that, there's a there's a place in the south of Spain where I did go this winter briefly called Donania. It's a, it's a national park in Andalusia, so right down in the bottom of Spain, really close to the coast of Morocco near the Straits of Gibraltar. And obviously that's one of the major migration routes. There are kind of three kind of land bridges where a lot of birds cross. That's like the Western one, the Gibraltar. Um, so I'd love to go back there and do that properly. That That's incredible down there. Um, so that would be one. And well, actually I'm 
I'm due to head to South Africa in July for the Jeffrey's Bay event. So I have been there once before. I was like 19 and I was only really interested in surfing. I feel like I sort of wasted a bit of an opportunity to do some other things. So I would also love to get some time over there to do some birding, but also just more broadly um, check out some of the some of the wildlife that, that's over there in SA. So hopefully, fingers crossed there soon. Well, if you're up in KZN, let me know. We'll try and get you some really cool birds, and I've got some mates that can help you get you some good waves, hopefully also. That sounds epic. That sounds really good. So something I thought about when I read your article, and I, I was you know, just thinking about the whole tourism even business potential of this going forward. Do you not do you do you feel that in the future there's the possibility of surfing tours that include birding as a part of it as you know, I really think this is, could be something that that could grab hold in some ways. Yeah, I I some I sometimes sort of question my own judgment. It's the sort of thing that I would find really interesting, but I don't know if that means necessarily other people would. I think certainly there's there's a all other areas of sort of surf tourism have been explored. So the whole kind of wellness i'm doing little inverted commas with my fingers and sort of yoga retreats and meditating and um eating i'm going to do more inverted commas detox sort of style foods and surfing has been been quite sort of thoroughly investigated and is certainly a thing i think wildlife and surfing is 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 underdeveloped and birding would be a part of that but i think that there's a lot more to it as well just in terms of you know exploring woodland and various various aspects of the natural world it's something I'd be really interested in. I guess my sort of reservation would be if people were really, really into birding and or surfing, that maybe there, there would be a bit of a conflict there. I, I, I'm not sure, but hey, I, I would sign up. But uh, yeah, whether that means other people would or not, I'm maybe part of the reason why I'm interested in the two is because I think somewhere that it makes me unique and that there aren't, aren't others. That's maybe that's my sort of secret hope. So yeah, I, but I, I it sounds... I think it should be put it that way. I think it's uh, the two, like I said. I think the two go really well together, and there's so many places with amazing overlap, and so many of the really good surf spots are near estuaries. Like River Mouths are kind of the, one of the kind of classic surf setups, and there's so many cool places for birding. And and even in terms of the times of day when the surf's good, is you're talking about a pretty short window. So when the winds come up or the tide's wrong, go and do some birding and. Um, yeah, I, I I think that could be a really cool thing. So something I'm always interested in is how accepting is the surfing community of your birding hobby? Um, Yeah, I have tried to kind of semi-brainwash a few people, quite a few people that I've that I've spent time with. I think people find it quite kind of quirky and sort of interesting. It's not very big in France. So if, you, if I tell people, French people, that I'm into birding, that, that they're... It's quite surprised about that because it's not a big scene here. In Britain, it's actually pretty big, and I think it always has been. So, yeah, maybe maybe it's a little more accepted there than here. Here, people are much more into hunting. And, in fact, the hunters actually, weirdly, are sort of in charge of some of the nature reserves. This just seems like quite a perverse setup. But, yeah, so but not not super accepting here, but I'm I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> doing my best or maybe i'm doing it a disservice but um yeah i'm i'm definitely putting energy in that direction and are there any other surfers according to your knowledge that are into birding or even bird watching on a more casual basis yeah so well for that article that you mentioned i wrote the stab i I got there's a a really famous server from the 90s called uh margo brendan margison from from australia 
So he was he was probably like the kind of one of the top surfers that didn't do competitions. It was a free server. They just surfed for kind of photos and for for video. And he's really into birding. Someone told me he was in it. So I hit him up. He got back to me and he's been into birding since he was a, a little kid on the east coast of Australia. And he lives near Byron Bay in, in New South Wales. So he's really into birding. He'd be a, a pretty high profile one. I, that, there wouldn't be really many servers that hadn't heard of him. Um, there's a guy from South Africa called Josh Redman, who I also found out about through a surfing world champion called John John Florence. His brother, Nathan Florence, um, he put me in touch with, with Josh Redman. So I hit him up and he's really into, really into burning from what I could gather. Uh, he had a lot of interesting stuff to say about it. So, um, yeah, he, um, he, he, had, he seemed like a really interesting guy. I didn't know loads about him, but um, he, yeah, he was kind of telling me about when he goes on trips and he prepares for the sort of habitats he's going to find and, 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 and always goes birding when he's away. So, yeah, he's, but actually I think there, there, there are quite a few people into it. Those are the, the two from the kind of pro surf world. I think in terms of the media and some of the magazine type geeky people and writers, I think there are actually quite a few secret birders out there. So just the last question, I was really encouraged to see that your article had a fantastic response. I was going through the comment section of your article. A lot of people were really excited about the articles. I mean, the one guy said this is probably the best article he's ever read in Stab Magazine. It was really a fantastic response. But if someone was a surfer and they listened to this and thought, okay, I'd like to give this birding thing a try, what advice would you give them to get started? I think the two things fit so well together and as soon as you kind of just scratch the surface a little bit with birding, it's it's an instant in. I think surfing can be quite impenetrable. Maybe for a while you have to be kind of crap at it for quite a long time. Whereas I think with birding, you, you, you know, it, it can be kind of exciting from the beginning. I'd probably say that uh, being into birding, being into sort of nature, the seasons, the natural world in general is it's something that we, we kind of need to do for a variety of reasons. And we've probably become a little bit kind of illiterate when it comes to nature. A lot of people don't really speak its its language, don't really understand a lot of the, the things. You don't need to go a long way. You don't need to go to the other side of the world and spend five grand and do some huge ambitious adventure. The magic is sort of all around us. You literally just have to look outside. I think that's something that the lockdown showed us particularly over here in europe where just everything went silent there was no traffic there were no planes and in france you, you weren't allowed to go literally more than a kilometer away from where you lived and i think a lot of people sort of discovered that that localism in a real positive way and just how incredible uh, the natural world is like immediately where you live um and i think if you can sort of derive a sort of pleasure and that that sort of fascination with with the what i guess would be every day but it's you know it's like i think I, I find that sort of stuff magical and that to me feels like a lot more i don't mean sustainable in, in the sort of traditional sense but it seems a lot more of an achievable aim than trying to do these exciting episodic things that you might have to save up for and do once and then you come back and you're miserable it's all around you all the time it's something that you can do every day and i mean yeah i just think it's fascinating paul it's been so awesome chatting to you. And I just want to thank you for being on the show. Um, I'd love to, you know, when you'd been to some surfing this, maybe we can catch up and hear some birds you've seen in that, but it's been so cool to chat to you. And I want to just say thanks for being on the show. Yeah, that's my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me. Um, I hope I haven't, I haven't mangled mangled it too bad for, for the serious birders out there. No, it's been lots of fun. I'm really, I really enjoyed this. All right. That's epic. Thanks a lot. 
Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. And I just want to say a big thank you to each one of our guests. Please take the time to check out the other resources that we have on our website, www.thebirdinglife.com. If you have any questions or comments, please drop us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com. Just a reminder that all relevant links from the episode can be found in the notes to the show. Until next time, be blessed and happy birding.